aren't you thankful tonight for his mercy? Amen. Blessed be his wonderful name. So good to be with you here tonight. We're just um, honored to have the invitation to stand before you, be a part of these meetings. We certainly love Brother Tim, Sister Karen, and Brother Tim has a special place in our hearts. And he uh, has been a real encouragement to us and, and a help to us. And uh, as, as he said, you know, of all places, I met him at Mount Baker. <laughs> I found my mountain. <laughs> uh, it was uh, kind of shrouded at the top. I don't think we ever saw the top the whole time we were there. But uh, anyway, we, uh, we had a wonderful time, and, and uh, the Lord has uh, saw to it to bring us together over the years, and, and he's been a real friend as well as, a, as an encouragement and a minister of the gospel. These other brothers as well, I love them all. We've, we've been blessed to have them come minister for us as well and encourage us. And, and uh, so I'm just, we're just real honored to be here. Sister Baker, where are you at? Okay, so whenever she's with me, I'm guaranteed to get at least one amen. So, so if, I, if you see me just looking over there, you might have to say amen once in a while. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> amen. So... Uh, you can be seated for just a moment. We had a, a fire earlier this year. It was uh, turned out to be, it was Valentine's Day. Not that we follow those kinds of things, but it was supposed to be a time of love. And, and it was uh, supposed to be the first day of our annual meetings that we had prepared for. And, and I got a call about 4 o'clock in the morning um, saying that somebody had set our church afire. And so we had to come down to the, the building. And as you can imagine, you know, uh, you of all people, you know what it's like to put on meetings, and you know the strain that's on you, and all the things that you have to do. And and uh, so our focus was changed right off the bat, early in the morning, and and um, you know, it turned out that somebody had set our church on fire. And of course, uh, the detectives were suspicious of us, which that's totally understandable. You know, they they don't know who said it or why, and and um, but. It didn't take them too long to figure out that, that we didn't do it. <laughs> and we don't know who did it. We know the devil did it. That's, you know, uh, he used somebody to, to do that. But we'd planned these meetings, and, you know, I, I think we could have been excused to cancel the meetings and, uh, you know, deal with the aftermath, but we weren't going to be stopped. <laughs> so we scrambled, and we found another venue, and we had... Uh, we missed the first night of our meetings, the Wednesday night, but by Thursday we had a, a place reserved and had contracts filled out. You got to get insurance, you got to do all kinds of things. You got to get equipment down there. You got to, uh, you know, we had planned to have it at our at our church like you're doing here, and so we had to do a lot of scrambling. And then at, at the same time, we've got ministers coming in. We got people coming from different places, and so it was quite a uh, an undertaking. But God was good to us and. Just uh, really blessed the meetings, and, and uh, so we thank him for that. And I was given the scripture, Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 3, and a portion of it says, talks about beauty from ashes. And so we, we believe that, you know, God's fire is hotter than any other fire. We believe that we're going to be better off afterward than we were before. Amen. So we thank you for your prayers. We know that you've heard about it and been praying for us, so we appreciate that. In fact, you know, uh, the devil makes some mistakes now and then, 
And I wonder, I wonder if he's regretting this one. Because we had people all over the world praying for us. I had people contact me that I hadn't uh, heard from for 15, 20 years telling us that they were praying for us. <laughs> I'll tell you what. <laughs> Amen. So tonight we want to, got a simple thought. We don't want to derail the wonderful service that we had last night in the meetings. We want to just try to keep the train on the track so our, the big guns that are coming after me can, can finish it. And, and so got a little something on our, on our heart tonight that we'd like to bring. Uh, I want to title it The Finishers of the Race. And if you wouldn't mind standing, The Finishers of the Race. Now, last time I was here, I got labeled as a cheerleader. So <laughs> Brother Donnie said, you know, Brother Baker, I'm glad the Lord didn't lead me to do that. <clears throat> well, if that's my part, if my part is to encourage you to cheer you, so be it. I could think of worse, worse jobs to have. I want to read from Romans chapter 8. We're going to read verses 11 through 23 tonight. I also bring greetings from the home church, Love Divine Fellowship, Tucson, Arizona. Romans chapter 8 and verse 11. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Praise but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again. We were under a spirit of bondage. We have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption. Whereby we cry, Father, Father. <laughs> the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Not we're going to be. We are the children of God. And if children, then we are heirs. We're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him. <laughs> oh, I should have stopped before I read that, right? There's suffering that goes along with it. That we may all be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly. You didn't raise your hand and say, I want to go down to the earth and I want to, I want to be uh, born in sin and shaped in iniquity. I, I want to be a liar and a cheat. None of us chose that. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know, I love that, not we think or we hope or maybe or it's possible, we know, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. 
May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of the word. Can we bow our heads for just a moment? Father, we're just so thankful to be gathered together for this evening time service, Lord, and evening light tabernacle. And we thank you, Lord, for all the precious brothers and sisters that are gathered here tonight. We thank you for the church, for our pastor, for all the ministers, Lord. But most of all, Lord, we thank you for your presence. Lord, we've come in expectation here tonight. And you, you cannot lie, Lord. You said if two or more are gathered in your name, there you'll be in their midst. So, Lord, we've invited you here tonight, and we're in great expectation that you'll meet our needs, that you'll speak to our hearts. Father, as a human being, as a man, if I knew that it was up to me to figure out what all the needs were in the body and what all needed to be said and what needed to, to be done, I'd be a nervous wreck here tonight, Lord, because I, don't, I have no idea even what all that I need. There's some thoughts and, that I have of what I need, but, Lord, there's so much more that, that we aren't aware of, but you, you supply our needs. So, Lord, we're, we're, we're looking to you tonight to open your word, to speak to every heart, Lord, according to their need. And, Father, we just love you, and we give you the praise and honor and glory once, one more time. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So, once again, we're speaking about the finisher's of the race. So just a simple thought here tonight, but we just trust that it'll maybe be a little encouragement to you. I want to read from Hebrews chapter 11, very familiar scripture. We'll read verses 32 through the end of the chapter, and then we'll read a couple of verses from the next chapter. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith they subdued kingdoms, they wrought righteousness, they obtained promises, they stopped the mouths of lions, they quenched the violence of fire, they escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness they were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, they turned to flight the armies of the aliens, women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. Now, what was your problem again? They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, these all, having obtained a good report through faith, they received not the promise. They were believing unto receiving. They were believing into something that was yet to come. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Chapter 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we, we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Looks like Paul believed in a cloud. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus. So we've got to look at something. We've got to have our eyes on something. We're in a race, but we've got our eyes on something. We're looking unto Jesus. 
We're not looking to the right. We're not looking to the left. We're not looking at this one that fell away or that one that fell away or this one that says this or that one that says that. We're looking to him. And friends, whenever we look to him, how would you ever be disappointed? He never disappoints. How would we ever be overtaken by fear? He doesn't bring fear into our lives. We're looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So he's the all in all. He's all of it. He started it. He finishes it. He's taking it all the way through. He's building his church. She meets his requirements. And, and it's his life in her, as we heard last night. It's not, friends, it's a matter of us uh, surrendering to what God has, has said that he's going to do. And it has already been spoken. The vision has already uh, been seen. The words has already been spoken. And we've already been seen in the vision. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now, the, the cross wasn't a joy, but he saw you on the other side of the cross. He had a goal. He was looking to you. Amen. And, and he looked to you with such great anticipation for the joy that was set before him, what he was obtaining, what he was paying for, the price that was being paid accomplished something. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, of course, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So the word finish simply means to, to complete and perfect in detail, to put the final touches on, uh, to, or to bring it to a conclusion. So we're not at the beginning of this, we're at the end of it, where the finishing touches are being put on it. So we know that we are living in the very closing time of the Gentile dispensation, of the time that's been allotted to us. And as Paul tells us in Romans, there's to be a manifestation of restored sons and daughters of God in the last days at the time of the rapture of the church. There must be. And, and when this manifestation is taking place, it's proof that redemption is complete. It's proof that the price was paid. It shows us what was accomplished at Calvary and, and by our kinsman redeemer, and by our intercessor, and by the one that paid the price, by the one that, that uh, 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 cleared the title and comes and does the claiming work. It shows that the title deed is once again back in the hands of man in, uh, in the domain that God ordained for it to be in. And friends, if this doesn't take place, the devil's going to say, well, sure, you know, uh, you took her away and, uh, you know, you say that your church was restored. You say that, that uh, she would overcome. You say this about her and you say that about her, right? But God uh, backs up in this hour and says, well, find out for yourself. <laughs> Put it to a test. Amen. So it's a, it's a golden age. It's a great time to serve the Lord. It's a great time to be on the earth in this great drama of redemption. And even nature has grown for this hour, for this time. Sickness and death, as we know, it's characterized the conditions here on the earth for the last 6,000 years. And yet our creator has been laboring from the very moment that there was a fall. He's been laboring all the while under the very nose of his enemy. <laughs> To restore all that has been lost. Satan did not get over God one little bit. <laughs> Satan is a tool in his hand that's actually uh, uh, bringing God's uh, uh, great plan of redemption into full view. So <clears throat> we've, 
We've seen evidence of the process of, of the power of redemption. We've seen it all throughout the ages. And we've been given a promise that in the end that death will be brought under the feet of the body of Christ. And everything under death is also being cast down and brought under the feet of Christ. Amen. So we, we read in Hebrews where Paul reminds us of the heroes of the faith and, and uh, uh, the, the heroes of the faith of the Old Testament in particular that are now even seated in the reviewing stands and, and they're waiting for the manifest, manifested sons and daughters of God to cross over the finish line in this last age. And so Paul looks out into the stadium and he, he identifies the faces that are in the stands. He identifies those that, that ran before you and I, that ran in the Old Testament. And, and they, were, they were but shadows of the, you know, you've been forerun. <laughs> Uh, you've been forerun all through the scripture. There's shadows and types that are describing you. Now, since it's a shadow and since it's a type, it's not the, it's not the fulfillment of it. Of course, you know, why have a, a shadow if you've got the fulfillment? But it's, 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 it's giving you an idea of what's to come. You know, if I put my hand up and, and uh, uh, there was a light shining behind my hand and, and you couldn't see my hand and the light was shining on the back of my hand and you saw on the ground a shadow... That shadow is forerunning my hand, right? And you know that the hand is coming because you saw the shadow. It has to come. The hand has to come because you saw the shadow, right? But then one day the hand and the shadow come together. <laughs> Amen. So uh, these are the great heroes of the faith and their lives were but a prophecy of what was yet to come. So they lived out in part what would be lived out in the fullness in a many-membered bride here in the end time and through the ages. So they are waiting for the end time overcomers to come to their place, to come to maturity. And, and they faithfully stood on the word in their day, but they did not receive the great promise in their day. They were believing unto receiving, as we said. So, uh, uh, but, and it was counted unto them for righteousness. But those that are living in this last hour, we're no longer believing unto receiving. And we're not going on hope and maybe and odds are and it looks like. The promise is here. And we are the very manifestation of that promise in human flesh. God is vindicating his word. He's proving his word. It's in full view. We received that down payment. We received the promise of the Holy Ghost baptism. And we are waiting for the fullness of redemption. We are waiting for the fullness of adoption, which is the change of our bodies. We've caught the vision for our day. You know, uh, there, there's a, a saying that's, that's been out there for a while, catch the vision. Well, there's some truth to it. Catch the vision. The vision has been, the prophets have foretold the vision. The prophets have preached. But we've got to catch that vision. We've got to see ourselves in that vision. And then as we see ourselves in it, we start walking towards it. And we get closer and closer. And at some point in time, we become the manifestation of the vision. Because the vision is talking about you. And the vision cannot fail. Oh, what hope that ought to give us this evening. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So, Paul looks over. And he's looking into the review, the, into the stands. And he, he tells us about Abel. By faith, Abel, and he tells us, you know, by faith, Enoch, and by faith, 
Noah, and, and he points out Abraham, and he points out Sarah, and he goes on down, and then he, he starts talking about Gideon, and Barak, and Samson, and David. <laughs> Heard a little bit about that last night. So we've been running a relay race now over seven ages. And, and those that, that start a race and those that finish the race are trained differently than those that run in between. Right? Those that start the race, they're taught to take the baton and run. And they run and they run. And they expected to finish the race. But, but there, were, there were others that were supposed to come after them. There were more names on the book. There was more seed. So we, they had to go into the ground because there were others that were going to come along. So they ran as far as they could, and then they were trained to hand that baton off. Right? They, they made sure there was another generation. They didn't say, we're the only ones. Us four, no more. They were trained to, to, to righteous, uh, to, to preach the truth and to make sure there was another generation to go forth. So... Uh, then then the, there are those that are trained, uh, that run the relay. They're, they're just, they're important too. They're, they've got their part to do. But they're trained to take the torch that's lit, <laughs> that fire that's lit, and run with it, and then hand it off. But then we come to the end time. Somebody's got to finish the race. Somebody's got to take it across the finish line. Somebody has got to be the finisher. <laughs> Somebody has to play that part. And they are trained to take it in their hand and run with everything that's in them. They're not talking about an eighth church age messenger or something laying in the future. You know, well, if we don't do it, there'll be somebody else. No, they are the finishers of the race. Praise the Lord. And it's important that they know that. So this race, it's really kind of a cross, if you will, between a marathon and a relay race. Because a marathon is usually one person from start to finish, but we've had, uh, we've had it, the baton handed off over seven ages. And a marathon is a race that the Greeks incorporated into the Olympics and the Olympic Games in 490 BC. And it was named after the Battle of Marathon, where there was a soldier that was named uh, Pheidippides, and he ran from the battle that was taking place on the plains of Marathon. He ran to Athens, and he ran to report the victory over the Persians. He's running. Oh, friends, we've been running a race for seven ages, and the and the and the, the message has been the same: victory over the devil, victory over the devil, victory over sin, victory over death, victory over sickness. Hallelujah. So, in modern times, the the. The distance varied from 25 miles in the marathon to its current distance of 26.22 miles, which was set uh, permanently in 1924, and, and it's uh, continued on to this day. In 1908, the race in London, uh, the length of it was 26.01 miles, and it started from Windsor Castle, started at the, at the castle, and it ended in, at White City Stadium. After, but once they got to White City Stadium, the rest of it was one lap around the track. And uh, that, it, it took three laps to make a mile. So it was 536 meters around. So 
that made it 26.01 uh, miles. And at the finish line, uh, they stood right in front of what they called the royal box. They were standing there before the royals uh, 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 to receive their victory wreath. And the winner would receive an olive wreath, and the olive wreath was made from a wild olive tree. And we know that the, the Gentiles are, are the wild olive branch that were grafted into the olive tree. So this is speaking of a Gentile dispensation. And, and uh, this, this wild olive wreath, what it, what it signifies is peace and victory. It signifies that the battle is over. The victory is won. And there's peace now because the Prince of Peace has come to take us over to the other side. So uh, we don't have anybody to hand this baton off to. And we need to just get that out of our minds. Friends, I don't believe I'm going to go into the grave, uh, but I believe that I'm going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. But if I'm not, don't let that stumble you. I won't be sorry that I believed that. Amen. I won't be sorry that I kept that before me, that that was my goal, that that was the vision that I was pursuing after. Somebody's going to fulfill that. And it's going to be fulfilled in our day. So there's nobody left to hand it off to. There's no other age. And we didn't leave the Laodicean church age. But God is no longer dealing with the Laodiceans. He's dealing with the bride. And he's dealing with the bride not because he gave up on the Laodiceans, but they gave up on him. They put him out. They put him out of his own church. Amen. So he's dealing with them in a bride time. So... We are clothed in this hour in the very righteousness of the saints. We are clothed in the faith of these heroes of the faith. Each, each portion of what they displayed in their life makes up our garment. It's, what, it's what's displayed in the bride body of Christ in this last age. And we've laid aside every weight. Amen. I had the privilege of, of going on a little hike in the, you know, it was on the bucket list to do the Appalachian Trail, or at least a portion of it, before, before you kick the bucket, and, which you don't know when that's going to be. And so I had the privilege of uh, bringing my, my son and, and Brother Wayne and, and his son, and, and it didn't start out too good. It didn't start out too good because I packed like I was a 16-year-old or a 24-year-old or even a 30-year-old. And I'd lost sight of the fact that I was, you know, 55 or whatever it was at that time. And so, first couple of days were kind of rough. And brother, brother Wayne said, you know, Brother Doug, you don't look so good. <laughs> oh, that obvious, huh? <laughs> so finally, finally, you know, you, you brought this and you brought that. And, you know, we were, there were other people that were hiking on the trail. There were two different kinds of hikers. There were what they called day hikers, and then there were the through hikers. The through hikers... Some of them couldn't even speak English hardly. Uh, they'd been, you know, walking on the trail. They'd been away from people. And, uh, you know, maybe they should have been away from people, some of them. But they had a different view of things than the day hiker. I was hiking like the day hiker because we were only going to do this for a week, right? So uh, the through hikers, they actually had a little bit of an attitude. They, they looked down on the day hiker with a little bit of disdain. But what we noticed is, you know, a lot of the through hikers, they weren't wearing boots, they were wearing tennis shoes. 
And they didn't know. They didn't have three or four sets of clothes. And they didn't have, you know, this thing and that thing. All these extras that I'd brought along. Well, you never know. You might need this and you might need that. They weren't carrying a lot of weight. They were minimalist because they were in it for the long haul. So I had to move from a day hiker to a week hiker at least. And we stopped at one of these little places that they spend the night and, and I unloaded a whole bunch of stuff. Part of what I unloaded was something that Brother Wayne had just bought me. It was a nice little stool and something else, but I laid it there and I'm glad that I did because we were able to finish the hike. I laid aside the weight that was besetting me. So he is the author and he is the finisher of our faith. And he does the work, as we heard last night. It's not going to be us saying, well, you know, wow, look what I did. And why doesn't everybody else do it? It's a matter of us surrendering to him and he's the one that does the work. Amen? Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. So those that run in the, in the seventh age, they are the ones that cross the finish line. They, and the last part of this marathon is grueling. Uh, the, they say, you know, I've talked to a lot of runners. My, actually, my wife's, uh, uh, her older brother trained. He was a marathon runner. He was a runner in high school, and then he became a marathon runner. Uh, he was selected by the U.S. Olympic Committee to uh, go to the, compete in the summer games and the summer games were going to be in the Soviet Union, and uh, our president, uh, Jimmy Carter, decided to boycott. You know, they turned it into a political thing, and so we boycotted the Olympics, and he'd trained for <laughs> all these years, you know, uh, to run in this race, and, and they didn't end up going. But uh, talking with him and talking with different ones, they say that when a person is running a marathon, as they get towards the end of the race, your body's breaking down. You're, you're getting cramps and, you know, nerves. Are, there are impulses that are being sent to the brain and the body's saying, you know, go ahead. You, you know, I may be with you and I may not be with you. <laughs> you start drying out. And, and, and it goes from a physical uh, running to an inspirational running at that point. And the people that actually win the race are the ones that believe they can. And they're running purely on revelation. They're running on inspiration. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. There's something in their spirit that's driving them on, that's pressing. Their body is just as broke down as the next guy. But something in them is just pressing and pressing. And they are the ones that finish the race. And when they cross over, they know that something down on the inside is what caused them to cross over. Amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, they say the, the oldest man that's completed a, uh, a marathon was 100 years old. That's amazing. I just, I'm getting tired just thinking about it. <laughs> when I see somebody running, I just, you know, whew, glad it isn't me. The youngest was a three-year-old. That kind of sounds like child abuse to me. <laughs> I, I've never met a three-year-old that wants... Now, I, I, they've got enough energy, maybe. <laughs> but 26 miles. Both of them happen to be uh, East Indian. So the last part, you're running on inspiration. We're in an eagle age. Amen? We're not going by our mental ability. 
We're not going on our, our mental understanding. We're not going on our ability to figure things out. <laughs> Amen? We're going on inspiration. We are, we are a, a, a revelated people. <laughs> Amen? And, and, and God is showing you things that the natural mind can't catch. So this end-time body then manifests the, uh, the fullness of faith or perfect faith before we, we leave this world. And they no longer hinder those that are asleep. We've had, we've had marks against us through every age. Where, they, where, where it actually, you know, we're waiting for the coming of the Lord. We're waiting for the resurrection. And, and we're thinking that it's, you know, something that we got to wave a wand or we got to do something. Actually, it's, it's us coming to the place where we're no longer hindering it. When we come to the place where the church is mature, where the, where the fullness of the word is, is back in the body again. And the last one comes in, and that actually allows the resurrection to take place. Praise the Lord. So we'd like to look at one of the heroes of the faith that Paul speaks of for just a few moments tonight. We want to talk about Gideon, if, if you don't mind. Thank you, brother. Nice suit. Same color as mine. <laughs> Judges chapter 6, we'll read verses 7 through 10. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt, I brought you forth out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppressed you. And I, <laughs> oh, hallelujah, he didn't send somebody else. The Lord himself. I did this. And I drave them out from before you. And I gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. I'm not the Lord somebody else's God. I'm the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. So the setting here is of the tribes of Israel and they'd been in their promised land for about 200 years now. And they had been brought out of Egypt by the mighty hand of, of God himself, working through the prophet Moses to, to bring the sons of Abraham into the inheritance that was promised to them some 600 plus years earlier to Abraham and his seed. And it was a mighty move of God. <laughs> it was unmistakably a mighty move of God. And it brought them out of bondage and, and then into a land that was flowing with milk and honey. And when they arrived in the land, they found that it was already inhabited by, by various peoples that had come into this land over time. And they battled with the inhabitants of the land under the leadership of Joshua. And they began pushing the inhabitants off. And they settled in their portion of the inheritance according to the tribe that they were born in. And by this time... So it's been 200 years now. By this time, they had such great stories of their forefathers taking the land. Real good bedtime stories, you know? Uh, about how God had fought the battle for them and, and how their enemies were afraid. And think of it, friends. There was a time that just the sound of worship... You know, we cannot undervalue that, as we heard last night. We cannot minimize that. Just the value of it. The, the, the musicians went before the, the children of Israel. They went before the Levites. They went before the armies. 
and they, they, they began to play and they created such an atmosphere and there was worship that went forth and that struck fear in the heart of the enemy. And friends, when we worship God, I mean, when you just let go and just tell God how much you love him and, and just create such an atmosphere of worship, demons are going out the building. Demons that are, that are here to try to uh, hinder the word of God going forth. Amen. An atmosphere is being created for lives to be dealt with. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. But barely after a generation or so of coming into the land of their inheritance, Israel began to relax. Israel began to settle down. They began to lose their focus. And instead of serving the living God, they started serving a God, a living God of history. <laughs> a story about God. Amen. We all like stories. But the stories are so you'll recognize God in your day. <laughs> We're not worshiping a story. We're worshiping the God of the story. It's his story. It's history. It's his story. But that's the God that we're worshiping. So they began to lose their focus, and they began to serve the living God of history. And it wasn't long before the idols that were in the land, they began to draw the attention of the next generation. And I don't fault the next generation. I fault those that allowed that to happen. They allowed that they didn't preach a new birth. They didn't preach holiness. They didn't preach a living God. They failed to get that generation to the living God, but instead told them stories about what God used to do. Amen. We've got a great responsibility. We've got a great obligation, friends. This isn't over. I don't know how many more uh, years that we've got, but there are, there's another generation coming up all the time. And every one of them needs their, their they need the supernatural. <laughs> they need to meet a living God. They, they need more than God sent a prophet. We believe God sent a prophet. That's wonderful. But that, that just makes you a, a Baptist at that point. Because Baptists believe that God sent a prophet. You know, from the Old Testament or whatever. But what we need is, is uh, we need a living God on the scene. We need to introduce them to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we, we were under such confusion in this hour, in this day, because there were so many Jesuses. And Paul said he was jealous over us. You know, uh, uh, jealous, concerned that, that Satan would, would come in and try and deceive as he did with the first Eve. Right? And, and he said, if somebody comes along and preaches a different Jesus than the one that I brought... You might well bear with them. Well, how many Jesuses do we have today? Well, we've got a Methodist Jesus, a Baptist Jesus, a Pentecostal, a Presbyterian, a this, a that, a Unitarian, a Adventist. And that's just in the denominations. What about in our own ranks? I can name a few more Jesuses in our own ranks, but there's only one. There's only one Jesus Christ of the Bible. And that's the one that we want to preach. That's the one that we want to be introduced to. That's the one that we want our young people to meet. Praise the Lord. So the people, essentially, they forsook the living God and they began to worship idols. How like America is this story of this people? You see, our forefathers, they fled from the nations of the world and they came to a land that, that promised them freedom. Freedom of worship and an opportunity to own land. Now, uh, we cannot underemphasize this. 
So many of the people that came here, they would never own land in their homeland, ever. They were locked out of it. <clears throat> they were slaves on the property. They were sharecroppers. They, <clears throat> they had earls and uh, different ones, the nobles, the ones that owned the land. They could change the rules as they went along. They could abuse them. They could take their, uh, they could take their virgins from them. They did all kinds of things. And so these people had in their heart, you know, I'd like to have my own piece of land. I don't care. I don't care what it looks like. I just want it to be mine. I want a place that I can plant roots. I want a place where I can build my own house uh, and, and I, can, I can worship God, the God of my forefathers. And I don't have to be pushed around. I don't have to be a slave. And actually, they wanted to be free from the Catholic Church. Now, I used to think... <coughs> I don't know how we can go through so much, uh, so long periods of time in our lives. I used to think that the Puritans were holy. You know, it sounded, and maybe it's some of the, the teaching that we got in elementary school or, you know, what they used to bring. Uh, you know, it sounded like they were holy. You know, it sounded like they were pure. They weren't. The Puritans were before Wesley's message. So it was before sanctification. What it meant to be a Puritan it meant that you purified yourself from anything having to do with the Catholic Church. I, I understand that's not going to be a popular thing to say, but they were absolutely were against that. And they fled from England and uh, other places. They came over here to this land, and here we are, a Catholic nation already. You know, most of our Supreme Court, most of our governors, uh, the, the head of uh, the House of Representatives and our vice president and... Uh, they're nice people. I'm not saying anything about the people, but, but you know, the Catholic Church is, is back. Uh, the, the state that they landed in, uh, you know, they talk about Plymouth Rock and all that. Massachusetts is one of the most Catholic states that we have. And yet these people would not tolerate a Catholic. Right? What I'm getting at is they came to this land of freedom. They came to this land that was flowing with milk and honey. <laughs> they came to this land that was teeming with wildlife. Millions of buffalo crossing the plains. And, just, uh, the, and the ground produced so freely and so easily. You know, they had to struggle back in the homeland to, to get this weak, worn-out land to, to produce something. And here's a land that's just producing. Yeah. Amen? It was a land. It was a promised land. And they were, they were, a lot of them were, were, were granted passage, and, uh, and, they, and some of them had to serve uh, over here some kind of indentured servitude. And then after a period of time, they were given land, or, or if they fought in the wars, which a lot of them did, uh, for the British or against the French or against the Indians or whoever it was, then they were given land as a reward. So we have stories. We have stories that I grew up hearing of a George Washington who bowed down on his, got down on his knees and prayed for his troops, who paid their salary out of his own pocket because the Continental Congress didn't have the money or, or were slow on it, who, who took a bullet, and an Indian uh, testified to this, and a bullet went through, and it passed through his coat, I believe, and, and yet it didn't hit his body, and yet there was a bullet hole in his coat. Just all these, you know, Patrick Henry saying, give me liberty or give me death. I will not be a slave. I will not serve. I'd rather die than live that way. Great men, great men in their day. Great stories. But how much of the, uh, the young people that are growing up today, how much of them even know about these things? How much of that is even taught? 
Oh, my. My forefather, I found out just a few years ago, came uh, in 1640 from England. And in the 1770s, uh, my eighth great-grandfather, his name was Reason Baker, and he lived in North Carolina, and the British put a bounty on his head. He was either a patriot or a terrorist, depending on which side you were on. <laughs> you know, uh, we would call him a patriot because he was standing for freedom and you know, trying to get out from underneath the tyranny of the, of the British government. So he had to flee from North Carolina. He went on the second expedition with Daniel Boone into Kentucky. And my, my forefathers, they lived there for about 120 years. And then they lived the last 100 years or so in Indiana. And when I was 16, our nation turned 200 years of age since we'd become, uh, you know, the United States of America. Declaration of Independence and all that. But our nation has settled down. And we've taken our eyes off the promise of the full inheritance. And instead, we brought in other gods in our nation. And people today, they forget about God until they're sick. They forget about God until they have a financial need. They forget about God until they have some other kind of need. And then when, when they have these great needs, they get serious for a while. They pray to God. They thank him for it, and then they soon forget, and they go back to what they were doing beforehand. Yeah. Amen. That's a quote, by the way. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's like a, the mentality is like a genie in the bottle. You're familiar with a, a genie that comes out of the bottle, and you pull the cork off, and this genie comes out, and, and you say, oh, great genie, grant me three wishes. So the genie, you know, grants the wishes, and... And then once the wishes are granted, then they say, get back in the bottle. And they put the cork back on and put the, put the bottle somewhere. That's what people have done with God. They've made him a genie in the bottle. They wait until they're, they're, uh, they've got a real need. They're trying to handle everything up until they can't handle it anymore. And once they can't handle it anymore, they begin to call on God. They say, where, where's that bottle at? I know it's around here somewhere. Where did I put it? Under the TV set or where is it at? So they go and they try to find that bottle. You know, is it near the Nintendo machine? I guess I'm giving my age away. That's probably 20, 30, 40 years ago, whatever. Pac-Man, whatever. So, but they find the bottle and they pull the, the cork off and they say, Lord Jesus, I have a need. And they turn him into an errand boy. Oh, friends, he's a good God. He's a loving God, but we shouldn't make an errand boy out of him. Oh, God, grant me this. And if you do, I'll do this, that, and the other. Uh, and, and then when the Lord moves on their life, they either, uh, they either forget that they ask him and they think they worked it out themselves. Or, or, but, but at the very least, they forget about God and they go on. That's the, that's the condition of our nation. That's the condition I was born under and raised under in the denominations. We would have these... In, in the Baptist church, I'm not thrown off on Baptists, very nice people, they're lovely people, sincere people, but we would have these prayer lists uh, where they, you know, it wasn't an eight and a half by 11 sheet, it was eight and a half by 14, what do they call it, legal size, and, and front and back, small print, you know, and they had, you know, one to so many hundred prayer requests, and these uh, prayer requests would be brought, you know, at the, the Wednesday night meeting and people would review over that. And the prayers so many times were, oh God, 
so-and-so needs deliverance from cancer. Lord, if, if it be your will, heal this person. But if not, we understand. Why even pray a prayer like that? that that's saying, you know, do what you're going to do. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. If you do want to do it, do it. That's not a prayer. There's no faith in that. And so the list just got longer. It didn't get shorter unless you, you know, until you died and it was taken off the list. And that, you know, as a young boy, I'm not, I wasn't, a, you know, I was born in sin just like everybody else. But something down on the inside of me said, something's wrong with this picture. Because the God that they're telling me about, the God of this Bible, doesn't match the God that we're serving today. And that bothered me. So, in our story, the first six verses uh, in, in the book of Judges, in that chapter, it's dealing with the people of God that were backsliding. And then verse 7 through 10 reveals to us a prophet that was raised up in the land to call the people to repentance. We don't even know who this prophet was. <laughs> There's no mention about who, who it was, but, but the people called upon the name of the Lord, and God sent him a prophet. And the people began, they began to call upon the name of the Lord, and so he sends this prophet, and the purpose was to bring them to repentance and bring them back to the word because they departed from the word. So there's this obscure fellow by the name of Gideon. He's the least in his family. He's of the tribe of Manasseh that's kind of you know half in and half out, kind of a halfway tribe, and it isn't much in comparison to the other tribes. But God loves to take the nobodies, <laughs> take the nobodies of the world and use them to fight his enemy. Amen. So Gideon, as we know, he eventually becomes the fifth judge of Israel during the time of the reign of the judges. And his name means hewer or one that cuts down. And the Abiezrites, at this time, they're living in caves, they're living in dens, in the mountains, and... And they're delivered into the hands of the Midianites for seven, eight, or seven, seven years, which these Midianites, they're the sons of Midian, which is the son of Abraham and Keturah. And so the Midianites, so these are, this is family. This is family that's coming against it. This is denominational church members, right? The Midianites, the Amalekites, the children of the east, they're pressing Gideon's people on every side and they're devouring the fruits of the land at every harvest and, and they're taking their livestock from them. They're not leaving them anything behind. And so, you know, the, the irony of it is that the children of Israel, they fought the Midianites in the, in the wilderness and defeated them, pushed them back. So they had more victory in their journey into the land than they did now that they're in the land. This is a pretty, pretty poor situation, pretty backslid condition. So, think about it. it uh, the Midianites, they later, they joined up with the Moabites, which we know also were, were relatives, you know, uh, descendants from Lot, and they started invading the land. So they're surrounded now by this mob, by this host that we were hearing about last night. Friends, you know, we are facing religious devils and political devils. We, we were facing devils throughout all the ages, but there are demons that were released 
uh, uh, from the river Euphrates in our day, 200,000, which is 200 million demons that were released against Israel to drive Israel back into her land. And it succeeded. But those, those uh, demons didn't say, okay, we'll go back and where we came from. They're now, they're now released against the bride. And they're driving her into her homeland, which is the, the, the opening of the word, the revealed word. Amen? They're actually doing us a favor. It doesn't feel like it, but amen. They're not going to defeat us. But, but we're facing devils in this hour. You know, uh, our human experience is, a, is a, an experience of contrast. We, we've never lived in a time when we didn't have these religious devils that we're facing. So it's hard for us to imagine that it was only, you know, it wasn't too long ago that we weren't facing all these religious spirits. That a, a preacher could preach repentance and souls would come to the altar, you know. But now we're living in a time when those religious devils are anointing people. And you, you, you tell them what's wrong and, and you preach the word. You put your whole heart in it and you're thinking, oh God, you know, I, I believe this just like they did on the day of Pentecost. I believe it like the early church did and people will just stare at you. And they'll look at you and say, you know, mind your own business and I don't have a problem. That's a religious devil. A religious devil will not repent. A religious devil does not believe that it's doing anything wrong. A religious devil, I don't care what you preach or how long you preach it, it'll stare you right in the face. Amen. And we got political devils as well that we're facing. We look out into the land, we got a mob mentality in our, in our hour. I realize it's going to get a lot worse, and, but we're seeing previews of what's to come. As we heard last night, hell is spilled out into this dimension. Revelation chapter 9, a mighty angel who was kicked out of heaven <laughs> that was cast down. He, he was given the keys to the bottomless pit. He's lifted the lid and hell is spilling out in this dimension. Right? Apollyon. Lucifer. And we're, and we're seeing a preview of what's going to take place in, in uh, uh, the great tribulation period. But, so hell is arrayed against us in this hour as we heard last night. <laughs> but... Revelation chapter 10 says, and I saw another mighty angel. This one wasn't kicked out. This one descended from heaven with, amen, a rainbow over his head, a book open. Amen. Face shining like a sun. Amen. So heaven is, and hell are, are, are doing battle in this last age, in this last time. Amen. So this is a harder time than we realize. It, it, because all we know is what we've been experiencing. We don't realize that there was a time when it just didn't take a whole lot to bring somebody to repentance or to at least get them to admit that they were doing wrong. I'd rather deal with the drunk than with a religious devil. Uh, somebody that's drunk, they know they got a problem. They know they need help and they say, well, nobody's perfect and maybe someday I'll get over it or whatever. But a religious devil, there's nothing you're going to do that's going to cause them to bow. Oh my. Hallelujah. So they're surrounded by this mob and, and uh, the historians, they say that the, uh, these, these uh, ones that were coming against them, they weren't like real organized and they weren't real educated. They were just a mob. And, and they, they would camp out uh, and they'd set up their tents and they would just wait for the harvest to be brought in. The children of Israel, they would plant their crops and they'd tend them and they'd water them. They'd do this and they'd do that. And the mob is just 
just sitting there watching, waiting for the harvest. You know, kind of like someone that's, that's planted the seed for healing, that's planted the seed for deliverance, that's planted the seed for this or that, and the devil's just waiting for the fruit to come to snatch it away, right? And the, de- the devil is counting on people being silent, being afraid, hiding, not wanting to testify that God just healed me or God just delivered me or God just saved my family. God just filled me with the Holy Ghost. He's right there to try to rob us. Amen. To try to get us to, to hide somewhere. Amen. We're not hiding from nobody. We're not taking a back seat to the devil. We're not running from any devil. Amen. The body of Christ is on the earth, and this word will defeat the devil anytime, any place, under any circumstance. They don't have to back away from me, but they do have to back away from the word of God. And this word is not a dead letter. It's a living word. It's a living person. It's the person of the word himself. The devil knows he's going to back off. But we need somebody that'll stand. We need somebody that'll look that devil in the eye and say, I'm not hiding. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take a back seat. I'm not gonna be afraid of you. I'm taking my God-given right. I'm taking what what the devil robbed from me. I'm taking what the church age has not been able to obtain until now. But there's no mark against us now. The title's been clear. There's no reason for us to not take what belongs to us. Hallelujah. This age of political correctness, it's nonsense. Oh, you know, don't call a homosexual a homosexual. You know, it's just a choice. Well, I didn't get to choose. When I was born, why do you get to? You know, here, come here. Let me scrape off one of your cells. I'll take it into the lab. Yep, it's a Y chromosome. And Y chromosomes only show up in males. So it just happens to match your anatomy. You know, I knew you were a male. But here's the proof. You know, we've got a book of life that's in, our, that's in every cell in our body, except, except our blood. Our blood is not dependent on who we are. There's different blood types, but there's no DNA in your blood. Hallelujah. There's no DNA in the blood of Christ. <laughs> Amen. But in, in our flesh, we're carrying a book of life. They're just now beginning to read that book. And they can tell what twig of what branch of what tree that you came off of. They can tell what part of the world you came from, who your ancestors were. I found out, uh, I wasn't trying to find this out. I was trying to trace my genealogy and, and I ran against a brick wall. And now they can tell if they test you and they test another one. Uh, they can tell, yep, you two are related, and they can tell how many generations back. They can say, you have the same forefather. Because the Y chromosome, if there hadn't have been any sin, well, they call it a mutation. I call it the sins of the fathers being visible on the children. What they found is that this Y chromosome that's passed from father to son, in a perfect world, it would be a perfect copy. What the father had would be passed to the son, it would be exact. But we know this isn't a perfect world, right? We know that the sins of the fathers are passed on to the children. And so there'll be a, what they call a mutation uh, where, where something didn't copy just right. Now it becomes a marker. 
and, and this marker might be for blood pressure or it might be for a heart disease. They can actually look in your DNA now and, and tell if you're going to have a heart problem. <laughs> well, how dangerous is that for the insurance company? Well, we, ain't in, we, we done looked at this guy's book of life. <laughs> we done looked at his DNA. <laughs> we ain't insuring this guy. He's going to die. <laughs> right? He's going to have this and that and the other. So there's great ethical questions, legal questions, and always comes down to legalities, doesn't it? <laughs> Lawyers always get involved. <laughs> but they can tell. Uh, so what they're saying is that if there's, a, if there's a, a, a mistake in that DNA, it takes 14 generations to breed it out. Right. Wasn't that what the Bible said? Sins of the fathers visit upon the children for 14 generations? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my. So, and they, they can tell by looking at it that we don't all have the same uh, a father, but we do have the same mother. I mean, where are we at? They can identify the 12 tribes of, of Israel by DNA now. They, they know who the, uh, uh, the, the Cohens are. They know who the, uh, uh, the descendants of Aaron are. They know who the Levites are. They know, you know, each one of the tribes. Now, God didn't need them for, to do that, but science is just backing up what God already said was going to happen. I don't know why I'm on that, but somebody say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So I had, a, I had a brother in the church, you know, so I found out that, that I'm actually descended from the tribe of Aaron. It doesn't make me better or worse. And no, I'm not a Messianic Jew now. I'm not going to start growing hair. I'm a Christian. Amen. I'm a Gentile. Amen. God just makes you the way he makes you. So you'll make a certain sound in your time and Right? And you know, he knows exactly what he has to mix together and so that you'll make that certain sound. Because he's, not only are we predestinated in the spirit realm, but we're predestinated in the natural realm. God's watched over it all the way through. So I had a brother in the church who I love dearly, and I think I'm about eight days older than him or seven days older than him, and real good. His name is Doug, by the If you're listening, God bless you. Uh, and he said, you know, I'm kind of curious about that. He, he said, I, I think, you know, maybe I'm a Jew, too. And I looked at him. He's got blonde hair and blue eyes and, you know, very built very well. And uh, I looked at him and I thought, you know, if I had to guess, I'd say you're a Viking. <laughs> and, uh, so he took the test and <laughs> he's a Viking. neither here nor there. We all came from somewhere. But they're, they're able to look into this book of life now. Right? And, 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 and tell, tell about us in the natural. But, but we're of the genes of our Heavenly Father. Amen. And there's another book. It's the book of the Lamb's. It's the Lamb's book of life. And in that is our DNA. And we, are, and we know that we all have one Father. Amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So these, uh, these people that were coming against them, that were waiting to rob them, it, it's really ironic because the children of Israel looked out and they said, these guys are like grasshoppers. Well, isn't that strange? You know, uh, when they came to the land and they looked over, they said, we're the grasshoppers. We look like grasshoppers in their sight. And now they're afraid of grasshoppers. <laughs> They looked and they said, oh, they're just, you know, there's 100,000 of them. There's 30-something thousand of us. And, in the, you know, God promised them 
that they would be like the sands of the sea. <laughs> the nations would come. Right? And here, these other ones that they almost wiped out now overpopulate them. <laughs> they should have they finished the job. Amen? They should have they finished off their enemy. Now they're having to face them again. And they're, they're mob-like. So they sit and they pitch their tents and they're waiting for the harvest. And, and we find little Gideon, he's, he's threshing wheat at the harvest time, but he's, he's doing it and he's hiding behind the wine press. Uh, lest the enemy come and take his harvested grain. Now a wine press is not a very big area. And when they would do the, the, the harvest, when the harvest time would come, they had lots of equipment, wagons and oxen, and it was a big affair, and it, was, it took a lot of area to do that. He's doing it in a real small area, which leads us to believe that it wasn't a big harvest. And he's doing it secretly and quietly, and he's doing it in fear. So Gideon, he's heard many stories, and I'm, I'm taking a long time to get to my point here tonight, but maybe we're getting to his point. Gideon had heard many stories. And no doubt, he wished that he'd been born in the Bible days. That's my story. But alas, the days of miracles are past. So he's told. And so Gideon hears a message of a prophet that's in the land. And he hears of a mighty deliverer. And he hears of the disobedience of the people that... Uh, when they feared the Amorites and they, they forsook the Lord, the living God, something was stirring in Gideon's heart. And, and Gideon longed to see a living God. Gideon longed to see the God of Israel. He didn't want a story. He wanted the God of that story. He didn't want to hear about a forefather. He wanted the God of that forefather. He wanted the same one brought back to the, his rightful place in the land. Amen. But now the people, they have a spirit of bondage again to fear. And political correctness is ruling the day. And mob mentality is, is, is what people are afraid of. Well, don't say anything because you might upset this one and you might upset that one. And you're going to get this person real upset if you tell him he's, he's a guy and not a girl. You know, I mean, it's, it's insane. It's absolutely insane. You don't even know where to step. With, with, with political correctness in this hour. And yet, and yet, if you're not a Christian, you can just say anything that you want. <laughs> right? Here we are in a case of Judges again. And we're reading from the book of Judges. And we've got a guy that, that uh, you know, uh, initially they couldn't find anything against how he judged. He had a record. They examined it. They couldn't find anything about against the word that he brought, the judgment that he brought. So then they went after his personal life. And initially they couldn't find any place where they could put a finger on his life. So they, you know, they started dredging and they got in a panic. And, you know, it's, you know some cases they're just making stuff up, right? Trying to attack his personal life. Well, when that didn't work, then they went after his temperament, right? Oh, friends, there's a real pattern there. They did the same thing to the Lord Jesus, Right? First of all, they, they went against the word that he brought. Right? When they couldn't find fault, then they went against his character. And they said, you know, he was, uh, and he was born out of wedlock and this and that. And they called him a liar and all different. They brought witnesses that contradicted one another. Right? And then, then they begin to attack his temperament. You know, isn't that crazy? You're, you're, you're being accused of something and you're in the trial of your life, but you can't, you can't get upset about it. 
you know? I mean, who wouldn't get upset? And if he didn't, what would they accuse him of? <laughs> you know? So with Jesus, they said, you know, uh, uh, you know, when he turned over the tables of the money changers, well, look at him, you know, he's got a temper and an attitude and whatever. That was, that was temperance. That was power under control. And it was lotted out just exactly as it was supposed to. Right? So here we are, and he's, he's the supreme judge. <laughs> Amen? And he was about to be placed up there in the supreme court <laughs> in heaven. And here we are. There's a people on the face of the earth tonight. <laughs> Amen? Where judgment has been uh, committed. Amen? She has his word and knows what he wants done with it. She can discern the two spirits that are working in the church. And she can withstand the Antichrist spirit. And as she does that, Satan is absolutely thwarted. No wonder he's in a big panic. No wonder he's going about uh, madly. No wonder these times are so crazy. He knows he doesn't have a whole lot more time. And mob mentality is ruling the day. So in Gideon's day, some were no doubt saying that the stories of Israel were exaggerated, you know, or, or they weren't literal. But they were just told to make some good points, you know, kind of like Aesop's fables or some nursery story. But something in Gideon's heart wouldn't believe that. When he'd hear these stories, something would stir up in him. You know, I know that he's hiding out uh, behind the wine press, but when he'd hear these stories, something would stir in him and he'd think, you know, I wish I'd have been there. I wish I'd have been there when Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. I wish I'd have been there when David threw that rock and they went and chased those, uh, uh, those brothers, you know, chased the enemy. I wish I would have been there when this happened. Or I wish I would have been there when Noah went in the ark. I would have went in with them. But instead, I'm living in this dead time, you know, when God's not doing anything. <clears throat> and Satan's on the rampage. So Gideon begins to cry out. Gideon cries, he's smitten in his heart, and he cries out to God with a sorrowful repentance. He begins to cry out from his soul for a living God. He doesn't want to go on. You either make yourself real to me, God, or I'm done. I don't have a reason to go on. This is no way to live. Amen. And a denominational chicken, that's no way to live, friends. And a denominational pin, if you're an eagle, that's no way to live. There's something down inside of you that says, you know, I was made to do something different. Now, friends, I realize that we're, you know, we're, we're not part of the denominational realm, but, but we're, facing, we're facing powers, spirits, principalities from on high. Amen. The pressure is on. So he cries out from his soul, and the next thing he knows, the angel of the Lord appears to him. So we read from Judges chapter 6, verse 11. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Abiezrite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. <laughs> now something down in his heart wanted to be a mighty man of valor. Something in him th said, That's wrong, and we shouldn't have to put up with that. Right? But he wasn't acting like a mighty man of valor. And, and, and he couldn't do it in his own power. 
So Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? I remember asking that same question myself. Why is the church of the living God stalled? And why is Satan on the rampage? Why why does he get to do all these things, but yet God's done, and he's just waiting for us to get to the other side? You know, we're supposed to have long hair and long faces and long dresses and long tongues and... (laughs) You know, must Jesus bear the cross alone? That's no way to live. And that's not, that's not the God of this Bible. And that's not what's promised to us. And he says, and where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, go in this thy might that thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? If the Lord be with us, then why is all of this befallen us? And where is the supernatural of his presence? Now, Gideon, if he lived in our day, you know what he'd be called? A sign seeker. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, we're message Baptists. We just believe. You don't know what believe is. Believe is a revelation. You're, you're, you're confusing believing with hope. You're hoping that you're right, but you have no evidence. You, you have no revelation. But yet, they, it's a spirit. A Baptist, excuse me, I'm not thrown off on the Baptist, but they're spirits. The spirit over that organization is, is a superior, you know, well, you need some evidence. I don't. I just believe God. Right? Well, yeah, and I see your long prayer list. And when was the last time your prayers were answered? Right? Where's the evidence of him being amongst us? Oh, we, we don't need that. Well, we who? Speak for yourself. I want the God of the Bible. I want the God of the New Testament. Amen. So he would have been called a sign seeker. It's a shame that we have to qualify what we mean by the word Pentecost in our day, in our own ranks. It's a shame that we have to stand for an old-fashioned meeting as if it's something that God's repenting of now. He took 2,000 years to restore something, and he says, whoops, that wasn't right. We need to move on beyond that. It's a shame that true Pentecost has been restored back to the church only for people now to say, well, we're beyond that. Yeah. Well, are we beyond justification? We better have it. We still need to be justified. And we're not calling that a dirty thing or an unclean thing. Are we beyond sanctification? I guess I better not ask that. A lot of places they are. Are we beyond? No, we, we still, without, without sanctification, you won't get born again. Without God cleaning you up, he's not going to come live in you. He's not going to live in a garbage can. Are we beyond Pentecost? Friends, everything he restored back to the church, we should have tonight. We do have tonight. Plus. Amen. But it's a shame that people say, well, we don't need that. It's a shame that people say, well, you know, Uh, We believe in shouting, and we believe in this, and we believe in that, but. Whenever you hear that word, but, they they just told you what they thought you wanted to hear. 
and now they're going to tell you how they really feel. I know that sounds hard, friends, but we, we need to call right, right, and wrong, wrong. We need to quit babying around with it and quit looking at it like some, you know, well, Brother Doug Baker, he's got the baby Holy Ghost. You know, right? They got the mature one. Yeah, he's the one that's so mature that you're matured six feet under the ground. Right? Uh, you used to be a plum, but now you're a prune. You used to be a grape, but now you're a raisin. Yeah, you're mature, all right. Well, we, we're beyond that. Well, you're just a baby. Well, what if I am a baby? What's wrong with being a baby? Right? I don't believe I am, but... Uh, 30, 30 years ago, when I was looking for that life, and they're telling me, you believe God sent a prophet, don't you? And I said, yeah. And they said, well, you got it. And I said, well, that's the same thing the Baptist told me. That didn't work out too well. Right? I, I kind of I want him to tell me that. I kind of want him to make it real to me. I kind of want him to come down and do for me what you can't do for me. Amen. Right away. I was labeled a Pentecostal. And right away, I had to bear that, that, you know, I was called the P word, like it's a dirty word. Right? I had to bear the reproach of wanting a living God. Amen. And, and people said, well, you know, uh, he's just that way because, you know, uh, he was Pentecostal before he came to the message. But, you know, do your homework. I was a starchy dead, twice plucked up by the roots Baptist. I never shouted in my life. I didn't even sing. I was embarrassed to sing. Just being honest with you. Amen. I didn't know anything about Pentecost. Amen. I just knew that I needed something that I didn't have. And I knew that I needed God to do something. And I needed him to show me that he was going to keep me. I needed him to come in and do what I couldn't do, that I'd spent all these religious years trying to do, and I failed. But now you've got a mark put on you. Well, we're beyond that. So what we end up with is a bunch of intellectual church members that fuss and argue, that got a temper that fights a buzzsaw. They don't have faith even for a toothache let alone an overcoming life. And it's a shame that we have to take a beating for setting aside a time and a place for our young people to come to a new birth, to come to a personal experience with the living God. Don't get nervous. <laughs> Amen. I know you believe this, but that, that, the devil wants us to be nervous about it. Don't worry. I'm not taking you back anywhere. <laughs> he, he, he just never left. We need the presence of the living God in our lives. We need the God of the Bible. I don't have, to, I don't have anything to prove here tonight, friends. My, my life is not, I'm not on trial. He is. But he's still performing his word today. He is the same today as he was yesterday. And he will be forever. He's still the God of this Bible. He's still the God of his word. He's still filling with the Holy Ghost. He's still saving and changing and delivering. He's still healing. Everything he said he would do, he's still doing it. These signs are still following those that believe. Oh, you're a sign seeker. Never have sought a sign in my life. 
but signs are following after me. I believe and signs are following after him that's in me. Amen. You know, it's time for us to tell that devil, just back off. I know who I am. I know what belongs to me. I'm not going to be some dead moss bat excuse for a Christian. I'm an overcomer. I found my place in the book. I'm an overcomer in Laodicea. I'm an end time overcomer. I'm overcoming the demons of seven ages, all heaped up at once, seven times hotter. But my God is in the fire with me tonight. He's still in the fire. Hallelujah. He's still delivering. He's still mighty in battle. He's a great overcomer. He will not be defeated. He cannot be defeated. But he needs somebody to stand and say, that's nothing but the truth. I believe you, Lord. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, my. And yet, Brother Branham tells us in the land I see in church age message. He says, the wild olive branch, which is the Gentiles, it was cut off because they rejected, here's his words exactly. They rejected the Pentecostal message that Paul brought in the beginning. So it's still Pentecostal. He said, when he saw, and he said, they rejected the Pentecostal message that was delivered to Paul in the beginning. And he said, and then the Holy Spirit then goes to the Jews. Right? So what that means, Brother Tim, is that there has to be a true Pentecost on display. Because you have to reject something that's real. And, and there has to be people that actually know that it's real. And reject it. For God to say, okay, you've put me out. Brother Branham said this. He said when he read that scripture, Jesus, he, he said it like this. Jesus was put outside of the Pentecostal church. Right? Because of Pentecost, he's put outside of the church. And he said, one of the saddest scriptures in the Bible. He said, when I read that, I laid my head down on my desk and I just wept. <laughs> oh, the person of the Lord Jesus put outside of his own church. And he said he was knocking at the door of Pentecost, trying to get back in with Pentecost. With Pentecost. Don't get nervous now. We're not going to take you down some bunny slope. <laughs> this is straight out of the word. <laughs> he said that uh, it was one of the saddest scriptures in the Bible. And yet many are thinking that we're just talking about emotion or just talking about a feeling or just talking about a gift of tongues or shouting and there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Amen. And we are fully aware that the church of 1906 was free for only eight short years until 1914 when they formed the General Council in order to protect the move of God as if the move of God needed protection, as if the living God couldn't fight for himself. And we know that they organized it right then. And we know that many took the gifts and rejected the giver. And we know that the Pentecostals were, were given the word 
uh, of this age first and that, you know, many of them rejected it. They didn't go on. We know that many were satisfied only with the anointing of the spirit, uh, with the rain that fell. But that's not what we're trying to take the people to. Those things come with it. But that's not what we're trying to take you to. Amen. And if you haven't met him, then you don't know what I'm talking about. So no wonder you don't understand. Amen. So what we're trying to do is point people to the person of the word himself that comes and dwells in you after you're quickened by his spirit. After you come in contact with the living word in this hour and repent and die out to your old self and baptize in Christian baptism, he promises to quicken you. He promises to reveal himself to you personally and to come in and sup with you and you with him but many don't want acts 238 young ones anymore today and i know that you're familiar with this but let's just quote it here tonight he says so you see she was pregnated with something because she's bringing forth members all the time but she don't want none of them screaming hollering blabbering acts 238 miserable creatures that she thinks that they are. Hey friends, I'm not miserable. I'm shouting because I'm happy. And I'm not shouting just to shout. I know what I'm shouting about. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It would embarrass her, certainly would embarrass her. It would ruin her and her educated, ethical, scientific church society that she belonged to here. They would throw her out at the next council. She can't have it. So she doesn't want to be pregnant with the word because that's the only kind that the word can bring forth. What do you do with these quotes? 1965, so don't give me that. That was before 63 nonsense. This is in the seals even. It's all the way through the message. I had a minister, a prominent minister tell me he said, Brother Baker, I was with Brother Branham. I never once saw him lose control of his faculties. And I thought, well, that's funny, because I never was with him, but I heard him lose control many times. I heard him see a mother eagle come down and bring her little babies into a field, and they're frolicking, and they're playing. And then a storm comes, and that mother looks up at that storm, and she comes down and grabs her little babies, and they grab a hold of her wings, and they flew into the cleft of the rock. And something moved in that prophet's heart. He went running around the tree. He said he was carrying on like a maniac. And there was a squirrel that was making a lot of racket and a lot of noise. He didn't care. In the third seal... He said, I started shouting. He said, I about woke up the whole neighborhood. Amen. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He never lost control of his faculties. <laughs> the same one said on a Sunday morning, said some people believe that everybody's got to have a supernatural experience with the Lord. But that's not right, is it, Brother Baker? 600 people there that morning. What are you picking on me for? I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm not doing nothing. <laughs> You asked me to give my testimony, I gave it. You don't have to like it. You asked me. And my testimony is supernatural. But, but I realize not everybody has to have one, you know. When the Lord set you free from your sin, 
natural or supernatural? When he sanctified you and took away things from your life that you couldn't get over. Natural or supernatural? When he led you by his spirit, natural or supernatural? Oh, I know, you know, we don't all have to. How about the body change? Natural or supernatural? Well, I'd say you'd have to have at least one. Our God is naturally supernatural. Everything about him is supernatural. And if you can receive it, so are you. Because you're a new creature. Hallelujah. Of the new race. Your father is God. That's why you cry, Father, Father, because you look and you say, I came from you. I get it. I flowed out of you. You are my source. You are my point of origin. Oh, Father. Oh, hallelujah. Let's have church. Born of the Spirit of God. It has the Spirit of God in it. No intellectual church joining, creeding, going, bobbed-haired, painted face. There's no such things as in all of that. You don't find that in the Word of God. You find an old-fashioned, sanctified, Holy Ghost-filled child, born of the Spirit of God, screaming, hollering, shouting, and praising God. Now, friends, we're not dummies. I know that there's people that shout, that they're just shouting. I don't care. That's not my problem. It doesn't bother me if they're happy. Beats the alternative. I know that there's people that mechanically are told to get up, mechanically to sit down, and, and that there's a worked up whatever, and it matches whether who's there or whether there's certain music and all that. I know that. I don't care. Right? That's just a scarecrow. The scarecrow is where the good fruit is. It don't scare me. What scares me is a dead church. It makes me nervous. Before I was born again of God, there was three things I was scared of. One, I was scared of the dark. I had nightmares almost every night. I didn't want to sleep by myself. I'd turn off the light and I'd make a, a running dash for the bed. And, you know, hit my knee on the bedpost and get under the covers, pull the covers over my head. And I'd stay under the covers for the allotted amount of time, whatever it was, where it was safe to pull the covers back down. My arm would fall off the side of the bed and I would pull it back up under the covers because I wanted to. Not because of the monster that was under the bed that was going to chew my arm off. I closed the closet door because I wanted to. Not because I was afraid of when the cars went by and the light shone and there's shadows in the closet and something's going to come out and bite my arm off. You could tell me all you wanted. There ain't nothing there in the dark that ain't there in the daylight. And intellectually, I said yes. As soon as the light went out, things were different. I was scared of the dark. I was scared of Catholic churches. And I was scared of hospitals and graveyards. Okay, so I guess that's four. What do they all have in common? Demons. Catholic Church, highest form of spiritualism that there is. No wonder I felt uncomfortable in there. Right? Cage filled with every unclean 
and hateful bird, right? Hospitals, demons are being cast out. People die. There's a demon. It's got to find some place to go, right? Hospitals are full of demons. I get nervous there, or used to anyway, right? Graveyard, same thing. But when I got filled with the Holy Ghost, my night fears went away. My fear of the Catholic Church went away, and an attitude was replaced. I'm not afraid of graveyards. I'm not afraid of hospitals. I'm not exactly comfortable, but I'm not afraid. <laughs> and something struck me as I visited with my brother Ron, and we were talking about weight, and, and uh, you know, I, I couldn't gain weight to save my life. And, and uh, uh, Brother Ron said, so your metabolism must have been real high. And I said, well, it was higher. I said I was a real nervous person. But it just struck me that I started gaining weight after I received the baptism because the nervousness went away. Oh, friends, he's one-stop shopping. You know, people, people today talk about essential oils. I hope I'm not getting on any distributors here tonight. If I am, there's a certain herb that we can give you, and it'll, there's an oil, it'll soft, it'll relax you. But I have an issue with it being called essential oils, because there's only one oil that's essential, and that's the Holy Ghost. And with the Holy Ghost, it'll take away your depression, it'll take away your sickness, it'll heal your body, it'll deliver you of this and that. You don't got to go look for a certain herb. You've got the healing oil. Hallelujah. It's cheaper. And it'll cure all your ails. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, we believe in all of that, but we believe in all of that, but we're just a little more mature than you are, Brother Baker. Okay. Call me a baby. Call me whatever you want. Call me happy. Well, we don't think you got that. Well, if this ain't that, I'll take this until that comes. But so far, this has done more for me than anything in my it's more than I could ever imagine. So concerned about order. I got to find a place to pull over. I didn't get where I wanted to. So concerned about order. But your prophet said, you know what? We need to get out of order long enough to get saved. We believe in order too, but it's God's order. Not our little menu where we, we plan. You know, I was raised in that. Let's see it. Ten 10.05, Brother So-and-so is going to pray. And Brother So-and-so's known that for a week. So it's a little sermonette. 10.07, nearer my God to thee. 10.09, this. 10, you know, 10.30, poor pastors got from 10.30 to 11. Right? And then, you know, the doxology will be sung. Right? And then we're just, it's so programmed. You're never surprised. He's organized right out of the program. How does anybody even get saved? You know, there's a parable in the Bible about wheat and tares. And in that parable, you know, the son of man went forth. He sowed seed in the field. He sowed wheat. 
Then his enemy came along and sowed tares in the same field, which is the church, right? And they both got quickened in the same field, and they both started to grow, and they went through a time of drought. And when they went through this time of drought, they were both head, their heads were hanging down, and they were crying out for rain. And the rains came. And the, and the, the wheat rose up, and they said, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Thank you for the rain. They shouted. They rejoiced. And you know what? The tares rose up. And they said, thank you for the rain. And they shouted and they praised the Lord. So if you're going to be a tear, at least be a Bible tear. Because a tear in the Bible got happy. There was nothing wrong with the rain. It's the seed that it fell on. And that's what people are worried about. Well, somebody might be a hypocrite. Well, guess what? They already are a hypocrite. Whether you water them or not, they're still a hypocrite. Uh, you know, uh, preach against fire and there's no fire at all. Why don't you get some fire and then start preaching about it? Brother Bram said, I'd rather have some wildfire than no fire at all. But people are afraid of fire. And, and I'm afraid of somebody that's afraid of fire. Because he's a consuming fire. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh my. Think about it, friends. Preach against fire. Well, you be careful. You know, we don't want anything false. You know, when I lived up north, we had something called crabgrass. Does it grow here too? You're familiar with it? That's a nasty devil, isn't it? Did you plant it? No. So you, you get out there and you rototill the ground and you put nice compost down and do whatever you can to kind of prepare the ground and level it out. And then you, you put your seed out there and then you put fertilizer and pack it down and then you, then you water it, right? And pretty soon stuff starts coming up. And lo and behold, something's going to come up and you're going to say, but I didn't plant that. You know, I bought certified seed. You're about ready to go to the seed company and give them the right act. I didn't plant this chunk. You know, where'd it come from? Some wind of doctrine blew it in or, you know, it joined you in the quiet times or whatever. And the rain is what tells you what it is. Right? Right? <laughs> and people know that. So there's a lot of, lot of pastors that says, well, I'm just not going to water the lawn. I don't want any hypocrites in the church. And if I water it, somebody might get happy. What do you care? That's all they're ever going to get. Let them have a little happiness. There's nothing wrong with the rain. It's the seed that it's fallen on. The rain wasn't sent for the tares. It wasn't sent for the crabgrass. The rain was sent for the wheat. We need to quit worrying about the tear and focus on the wheat. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Who cares? You can set it in order. It's not a big deal. But, but you got to have a crop before you start worrying about order. Oh, my. We have to get in the spirit before we can get anywhere with God. Right? We, we, we're educating people into the message. That's right. yeah. 
And, and, and that's how we end up with these misunderstandings on, you know, bright age and all these different things is because people are reading stuff with their minds and there's no revelation. You got to get into the spirit. So there's no getting away from being in the spirit. There's no getting away with the spirit of the living God being in the church. I was told by a, a, a minister here a while back, he said, Brother Doug, he's kind of looking down on me like poor Brother Doug, but he said, Brother Doug, you can't hold on to Pentecost and the message at the same time, you know? And I thought, well, why not? I guess it depends on what you mean by Pentecost. Now, if you're telling me I can't hold on to the Lord Jesus and the message at the same time, you're an idiot. I'm sorry. Well, he's against streaming, so he won't be hearing this tonight. Because we're just going to trust in our works. Come on. We don't got to take the back seat to a devil. We don't have to take a back seat to this kind of talk. You were made for this. The old-fashioned meeting is the only kind that there ever was. That's what was in the beginning. Brother Ram talks about it every step of the way. He said, did you know that Moses was a tongues man? He said, Miriam got in the spirit. She started dancing, beating that tambourine. Oh, well, it was just a workup. Well, what your problem is, is that you've never been delivered. Because if you look back and you see demons of cancer, demons of cigarettes, demons of prostitution, you see those devils being drowned. And if that doesn't make you a little happy, I doubt your experience. She knew what she was shouting about. And Brother Brown said, if that wasn't an old-fashioned meeting, I don't know what it was. Brother Brad was in his very first Pentecostal meeting. And in that service, there was an 80-year-old guy that had to be helped to come up to the pulpit. They had to bring him up. His hair was rimmed. He was bald and rimmed with white around. And he come up and he took a text from Job. And he said, where were you? Where were you? When the sons of God shouted for joy and the morning stars sang, right? And as he began to preach... The anointing struck him and he jumped up, kicked his heels together. And he said, you don't have enough room up here for me to preach. Right? Brother Brandon was enjoying himself. Amen. He said he went down the horizontal rainbow just all over the place. Friends, think about this. Here's the messenger of this last church age. Where were you when the morning stars? Amen. And he's one of those morning stars. You know, he, he's in his first Pentecostal meeting and he's, he's, he's being asked, where were you? Right? Well, I guarantee you, if you could figure out where you are, you'll know who you are. Amen. And of course, he saw, you know, uh, hypocrisy and he saw this and he saw that. But, you know, they invited him to come up and preach. And, you know, he, he preached until he was outside the, the church and didn't know how he even got out there got all kinds of invitations he went back his mother-in-law said you're not taking my daughter out there amongst that trash now brother Branham never called him trash right he just said well you know hope you go ask your mother and whatever well her mother was against it he says well you know and it was a mistake 
It was a big mistake that he made, right? Brother Brandon ends up, you know, we don't have time, but he ends up, you know, out on the, his, his wife's dying in the hospital, and he's out on the river, the Ohio River, there's flooding that's taking place, and he's pulling on that rope <laughs> on the motor. He's going down towards the falls, and he can't get the boat going. And the Lord speaks to him, <laughs> says, what about that trash? I wonder how many people are guilty of that today. Your prophet never called anybody trash. Even when they were out of order, he was respectful. Amen. Oh, my. You don't want to call something that God's doing something unclean. Amen. He's pulling that rope. What about that trash? Now, he never called it trash, but he listened to somebody and didn't do, do anything about it. And his wife and baby ended up dying because of that. And he goes to the hospital and she's dead. She's gone. And he goes into the room and he says, Hope. <laughs> he calls her back. And she said, Why'd you call me back, Billy? She'd just been over for a few moments. <laughs> Went over onto the other side. She says, Billy, you've preached about it. You've talked about it, but you have no idea. She said, It's just, it, it, just how wonderful it is. Then she says, Billy, promise me you'll raise Billy Paul this way. Said, do you know where we made our mistake? Now she'd just, just been over for a few moments. Do you know where? Now she's telling him something. Do you know where we made our mistake? You go to those people. Amen. Friends, I'm not, I'm not promoting the, an organization. I'm not t- telling us to go back to 1906. But we serve a living God. The same God of William Branham is, is, is the same God tonight. And he's real. And he's here. And he's here every time we come together. But we're pressing against demons. And the, and the musicians, they get tired. They get worn. The song leader gets tired because they're priming and pumping. Because you're facing all these devils that are coming against us. But if you just press on through. Just press on through. An atmosphere of praise comes. And the demons begin to get pushed back and then the man of God could come and preach the word and the atmosphere is milky and people can be healed and delivered and saved whatever it is that we have need of amen and then we water our uh, we water the word with praise we water it and, it, and it, it, it it has a chance to be quickened before we leave the building amen we are we are the church of the living God Amen. And, and, and we've got to fight. We've got to press. Amen. It, the battle is the Lord's, but we've got to press. We've got to say, I'm taking what belongs to me. Praise the Lord. I've got to pull over here in just a moment. People have been taught to fear the very thing we need. Brother Brown said in 1954, he said, the Holy Spirit is here to give you a charge, like a charge on a battery. Your glorified condition. Holy Spirit here to give you a charge, like a charge on a battery. Right? When your battery goes dead, you need a jump start. Right? How many, how many knows what it's like to have a dead battery? You got all the mechanics, but no dynamics, as we heard last night. Right? You need, you need a charge. 
into your battery. So you come along somebody. How do you know that they need a jump start? How you doing, brother? Woo, 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 woo. <laughs> you know, you try to, try to start the car. Woo, 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 woo. How you doing, brother? Well, 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 well. Sounds like you need a jump start. And if you wait too long, what comes after that? Click, click, click. You start forming clicks because there's no life. The Holy Spirit makes us all the same. The Holy Spirit will make a tuxedo put its arm around a pair of overalls. The Holy Spirit will cause a silk dress to put its arm around a gingham dress. It's the grand equalizer. When we start getting prickly, when we start getting human, it's because we need a charge. We need a recharge. We're not talking about just getting filled with the Holy Ghost. We're talking about getting refilled and refilled. And I need it. I need his presence. You need his presence. We're talking about, oh, hallelujah. And you're at a filling station here tonight. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, maybe your terminals are dirty. Uh, let's see if you got a loose connection somewhere. You know, uh, maybe you need to tighten some things up. Let's, let's pull the seals off of that battery and make sure there's a water in every cell. Uh, you know, okay, I think I found it. Here's your problem. You don't have a connection on the cross or the positive terminal here. You got the negative down. It's connected, and we got that. That connection's there, but you need the positive. That's what's missing. So let's clean this thing up with a little washing of the water of the word. Let's get it scrubbed out. Let's get it tightened back up so that we got a connection again, so that the power can flow once again. Hallelujah. Brother Brown tells us in the message, God and Simplicity, that he preached in Albuquerque, he tells us about a boy that liked baseball that was standing outside the meetings one day. And he said, you know, Brother Branham, I couldn't get into the building. I couldn't get much out of the meeting because there was a woman that was screaming and she was crying and it ran chills down my back. And Brother Branham said, you know, I'd have had chills if that wasn't happening. If they weren't screaming and shouting. He said, but Brother Branham, who could hear? And Brother Branham said, well, the message was given. And my time to speak was over. It was time for me to shut up, he said. And the Holy Spirit took over, and now it was time for the Holy Spirit to speak. Amen. Somebody told Brother Branham, they said it would scare them to death to hear somebody scream. I will pull over here in a moment. I will, I promise. Well, you know, if I was in a morgue and somebody screamed... I guarantee it, that would scare me to death. Because I don't expect dead people to scream. And Brother Branham said, we got too many old morgues, Mossback Christians. I was offended when I went to Europe and I found out they buried people in the church. Then I thought, well, why not? The church is dead. Let the dead bury the dead. Amen. Brother Bram said, you know, when a person dies, they take him in and they take the blood out because they don't want to take a chance of that person coming back. <laughs> and then to make sure they don't come back, they put a chemical in him called formaldehyde, yeah. right? And the root of that word is formal. Yeah. 
formal, formaldehyde. So they inject him with formalness to make sure they stay dead. And then they do a doctor job on him. And some people look better dead than they did alive. And all they do is talk about what they used to do and everything in the past. Right? That's a morgue. And I wouldn't expect there to be too much shouting in that kind of a morgue. But where there's life, where there's babies, where there's, where there's new life coming forth. I'm, I'm trying to find my place to pull over. I may have shared this before, but I'm going to share it again here tonight. I went to a 55 and older trailer park where my grandmother lived in Chicago. That was one of the worst experiences I had when I was a 13-year-old. Because it's 55 and older, and they don't want you there. Because you might be in Acts 2.38, screaming, shouting, tongue-speaking. They don't want kids. And, and, and because of that, there's some of the most, excuse me, if you live in one of those, yours is different. I'm not talking about you tonight. But you walk down the street and you're trying to get out of the neighborhood and you see the curtains open. And here's this, I can say it now because I'm over 55. Here's this over 55 person looking out there, looking to find something wrong. We got some, of the, we got churches that are 55 and older trailer parks. They don't want life. They don't want anybody to scream. They don't want to change any diapers. They don't want to have to deal with some snotting and bawling and squalling. <laughs> Isn't it amazing the terms Brother Brenham used to describe a new birth? Just real classical, ecclesiastical terms, you know? Snotting, bawling, squalling. One of my personal favorites, running around like a chicken with its head cut off. Anybody ever seen that? I used to go to the farm and grandparents every summer, and I seen grandma wring the neck of that chicken and then cut its head off, and I seen it run around, blood spurting everywhere. It's a mess. And then you got to deal with it. Right? But a birth is a mess. I was going to Africa on my first trip to Africa, I think it was in 1995, and I was pondering uh, while I was in the plane, I was thinking, God is such a God of order. You know, I can see his order everywhere, and it's magnificent. So why, when it comes to a new birth, is it a mess? Why does a God that's a God of order, he's got everything else, you know, you just see his, his perfection everywhere. Why is a birth a mess? And the Lord led me to the message pride. And I read that message. <laughs> you know, uh, pride will keep you from a birth. Because there's no way that you're going to come down with a spirit of pride, right. kneel down to the altar, squall, ball, snot, yeah. run around like a chicken with your head cut off, then get up and tighten your tie and walk back to your seat. There ain't no way you're going to do that. It's just not going to happen because pride will not allow it. So it's actually a guard, if you will. Right? A birth is a mess. Brother Brown said whether it's in a pink decorated hospital uh, building or whether it's in a pig pen, it's a mess. But life is coming forth. And when we hear that baby cry, it's beautiful music to our ears. 
it's squalling. It's not stillborn. And if, if it doesn't squall, we get nervous. And, then, and they'll turn the baby upside down and give it a little posterior protoplasmic stimulation. Amen. Right. But when it cries out, you know that it's alive. Friends, I know we're all different. You know, some of us are going to are going to cry, some of us are, you know, are going to shout, some of us are going to act this way, that way, just depending on who you are. But the, what we all have in common is something's going to move in your heart. Otherwise, anything without emotion is dead. Right? Uh, so we're not promoting emotion, but it comes with it. Right? Well, uh, the main thing is, don't worry about what somebody else is doing. Right? The devil wants to keep us from that. He wants to keep us from that life. Amen. But this life was sent for a purpose. And without it, we can't overcome. None of us are going to go to the other side and say, look what I did. Amen. Without that life, we can't overcome. We need it. Praise the Lord. Mm. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let me just read this. We'll pull over. Judges 6, 15. He said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee. Thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. So you're going to smite 100,000 people as if they're one. And he said unto him, If I have now found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. Depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee and bring forth my present and set it before thee. He said, I'll tarry until thou come again. And Gideon went in. He made ready a kid. Now remember, they've got very little to survive on. And he's preparing this big banquet. He's making this big sacrifice, right? Unleavened cakes of an ephah of flour. And it's said that an ephah of flour, if he used the whole ephah, it's enough to feed 45 men for one day. The flesh he put in a basket. He put the broth in a pot. He brought it out to him under the oak and presented it. And the angel of God said unto him, Take the flesh, the unleavened cakes, lay them upon the rock, pour out the broth. He did so. Then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand, touched the flesh, the unleavened cakes, and there rose a fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. When Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face, and the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord, called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day it is yet in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. So Gideon died out on an altar, and Gideon stayed there until God answered back with fire. Amen? He presented his sacrifice. He said, don't, you know, stay here. I'm going to go. I'm going to get my sacrifice. I'm going to bring it back. And he waited. He waited. He wasn't looking 
uh, for a tongue or a chill or an emotion or an intellectual stimulation. He was looking for God to reveal himself to him personally. And when you meet God by the baptism of the Holy Ghost, it changes you for good. Your days of trying to live a Christian life are over. You've got, you've got the quitter. You know, if you're not trying to quit this or that, you've got the one that quit it in you. Your days of wandering are over. Your days of wondering are over. Because you've met the living word of your day. And Brother Branham put it this way. He said, Gideon met the living word of that day veiled in the flesh of a man. He makes his abode in you. <laughs> oh my. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Think about this, friends. I'll stop with this thought here tonight. Jesus went to the cross. And when he went to the cross, everybody forsook him. Peter forsook him. The church forsook him. The sun turned its back. The moon turned its back. The stars turned their back. The spirit departed from him. Everything. He was all alone. So just think about how alone you've been at one time or another. You'll never be alone like he was. Amen. He was completely alone. Right? And then he said, I went through that for you so that you will never have to be alone like I was. He said, I'll be with you. Right? And even in you. Amen. In the garden, Eve was taken out of Adam. She was the mystery of Adam revealed, the hidden part of Adam that was taken out, right? And Adam and Eve together were one. And Adam had in Eve what she needed to not be deceived. Because Adam couldn't be deceived. He had the word. So somehow, Adam let Eve get away from him. Right? And Eve got alone with the serpent and she was deceived because the part of her that would have kept her from being deceived was still in Adam. Right? Then the Lord Jesus, when he died on the cross, his bride came out of her, his side, right? And then the church was born. And then the part that she needed to not be deceived was in him. So he said, okay, I'll just come in you so that you won't be deceived. He said, I'll be with you, even in you. you that's why you can't be deceived. Because he's in you and the word cannot be deceived. You cannot be defeated. Amen. Those that don't receive the new birth are deceived. You can't not be deceived. It's the Christ in you, the word in you. Amen. That will keep you from being deceived. Oh, friends, we need him. We need him more than ever. You were made for him to come and dwell in you, the tabernacle of the living God. What, a, what, a, what an awesome opportunity that we have in this last age. What a time that this is. Oh, it's a dark time. Sure it is, but, but light is pressing against the darkness. And so any light that's in the darkness is getting squeezed out. So dark is getting darker. But guess what? Light is getting lighter. So if we look out there in the darkness, you know, as the bride that was in review, as she started to get out of line, she was getting out of line, Brother Bram said, because she was looking at others that were going, you know, disbelieving the sign or whatever. She was looking at those that were getting out of step. Actually, these ones got back into step, but uh, 
he, he's, he's screamed out. He said, stay in line. In another place, he said, look to me. Of course, he was saying, look to the word, look to the message, look to the revealed word, right? What are we looking at? We're looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I can't get discouraged when I look at him. Amen. And when I look at him, he says, I won't leave you. I'm going to finish this work. I started it. I'm going to finish it. I'm going with you. I'm going in you. Amen. Let's stand tonight. You love him? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Paul pointed out the Old Testament believers. We can point out New Testament ones tonight. They're all lining they're all in that other dimension, waiting to come into this dimension. <laughs> Isn't it ironic? We're trying to get there, but they're trying to get here. Right? Because there's something here that they still need. Right? To be complete. And if we could hear tonight, we'd hear Paul screaming, keep going. You're a finisher. You're almost there. Don't give up. Don't stop. You're not going to be defeated. Don't give up on your family. Don't give up on this or that. You're almost there. You're almost at the finish line. You're coming to the winner's circle. If we could hear, they'd be screaming, keep going, keep going, keep running, keep going. Amen. Keep your lamps trimmed. Get extra oil. Keep going. Keep going. We're almost there. And they're excited and they're shouting because they... they uh, they're waiting on us to come to that place. And we're living in that time. Oh, we shouldn't be discouraged. We ought to be the happiest people on the face of the earth. But we shouldn't back down. We should take everything that belongs to us. Amen. We should, you know, I, I wonder if people love God. I, I'm not talking about you, but those that are against worship and shouting and screaming, well, I'm doing that because there's something in me. I just love them. I just want to worship him. He's worthy of our praise. It's just, just something that's in you. That's bubbling up. I didn't put it there. He did. Amen. I just want to worship him. And I feel better just worshiping him. Amen. We are the overcomers, the finishers of the race. Amen. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, forgive us for carrying on here tonight. But Lord, we love you. Lord, you just mean so much to us. We're so thankful. To be living in this time, Lord. Father, as we uh, heard last night, and as we've heard so many times, Lord, uh, you, predest you set our destiny. We couldn't have been born in any other age. We couldn't have been born in Luther's age because the light of Luther's age wouldn't have, wouldn't have woke us up. So we just slept on in the loins of our father, Lord of our grandfather, our great-great-grandfather. We couldn't be born in the days of Wesley because that wasn't the right light to to call us forth, to arise and shine. That wasn't our message, that, that your light has come. But Lord, we're living in this time. We're living in this season. And you ordained for us to come forth. And not only did you ordain for us to come forth, but you ordained a certain light to be shining that would call us forth, that would cause us to arise and to shine. And Lord, to to be living epistles read of all men here in the end time, surrender to you, Lord. Father God, I just pray tonight that each and every heart, Lord, Father, that we would just be encouraged to, 
take everything that belongs to us, to take full possession, Lord, to not live below our privileges, to not back off, to not get a complex about what other people might think or uh, worry about even what we might think, Lord, but just surrender to you. And Lord, just allow you to, to take full control of our lives and Lord, to manifest yourself as you've declared that you would in this, this end time. Grant it tonight, Lord. We just thank you so much for our pastor here tonight, Lord, and for this church and for all that are gathered here, all that are represented. We thank you most of all, Lord, that you've uh, said that you'd be here and you're here. Father, we're just looking for great things this weekend. We just, uh, everything that you do is great. We want more of you, Lord. And Father, many times we're kind of embarrassed that we didn't expect more because you always, uh, you always uh, uh, go greater than what we expected. And then we think, well, I should have just expected more. Father, we just want to continue to surrender to you this weekend. And Lord, to look for you to have your way to take us further, deeper, higher, wherever we're at in our walk, Lord, each and every one. Father, we commit this into your hands now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I'm one of them, I'm one of them, oh I'm so glad. 